Section 1 of Treatise on Light by Christian Huygens, translated by Sylvanus P. Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in October 2012. Chapter 1 On Rays Propagated in Straight Lines. Part 1 as happens in all the sciences in which geometry is applied to matter the demonstrations concerning optics are founded on truths drawn from experience such are that the rays of light are propagated in straight lines that the angles of reflection and of incidence are equal and that in refraction the ray is bent according to the law of signs now so well known and which is no less certain than the preceding laws the majority of those who have written touching the various parts of optics have contented themselves with presuming these truths but some more inquiring have desired to investigate the origin and the causes considering these to be in themselves wonderful effects of nature in which they advanced some ingenious things but not, however, such that the most intelligent folk do not wish for better and more satisfactory explanations. Wherefore I here desire to propound what I have meditated on the subject, so as to contribute as much as I can to the explanation of this department of natural science, which, not without reason, is reputed to be one of its most difficult parts. I recognize myself to be much indebted to those who were the first to begin to dissipate the strange obscurity in which these things were enveloped, and to give us hope that they might be explained by intelligible reasoning. But, on the other hand, I am astonished also that even here these have often been willing to offer, as assured and demonstrative, reasonings which were far from conclusive for i do not find that any one has yet given a probable explanation of the first and most notable phenomena of light namely why it is not propagated except in straight lines and how visible rays coming from an infinitude of diverse places cross one another without hindering one another in any way i shall therefore essay in this book to give in accordance with the principles accepted in the philosophy of the present day some clearer and more probable reasons firstly of these properties of light propagated rectilinearly secondly of light which is reflected on meeting other bodies then i shall explain the phenomena of those rays which are said to suffer refraction on passing through transparent bodies of different sorts and in this part I shall also explain the effects of the refraction of the air by the different densities of the atmosphere. Thereafter I shall examine the causes of the strange refraction of a certain kind of crystal which is brought from Iceland. And finally I shall treat of the various shapes of transparent and reflecting bodies by which the rays are collected at a point or are turned aside in various ways. From this it will be seen with what facility, following our new theory, we find not only the ellipses, hyperbolas, and other curves which Mr. Descartes has ingeniously invented for this purpose, 
but also those which the surface of a glass lens ought to possess when its other surface is given a spherical or plane or of any other figure that may be it is inconceivable to doubt that light consists in the motion of some sort of matter for whether one considers its production one sees that here upon the earth it is chiefly engendered by fire and flame which contain without doubt bodies that are in rapid motion since they dissolve and melt many other bodies even the most solid or whether one considers its effects one sees that when light is collected as by concave mirrors it has the property of burning as a fire does that is to say it disunites the particles of bodies this is assuredly the mark of motion at least in the true philosophy in which one conceives the causes of all natural effects in terms of mechanical motions this in my opinion we must necessarily do or else renounce all hopes of ever comprehending anything in physics and as according to this philosophy one holds as certain that the sensation of sight is excited only by the impression of some movement of a kind of matter which acts on the nerves at the back of our eyes there is here yet one reason more for believing that light consists in a movement of the matter which exists between us and the luminous body further when one considers the extreme speed with which light spreads on every side and how when it comes from different regions even from those directly opposite the rays traverse one another without hindrance one may well understand that when we see a luminous object it cannot be by any transport of matter coming to us from this object in the way in which a shot or an arrow traverses the air for assuredly that would too greatly impugn these two properties of light especially the second of them it is then in some other way that light spreads and that which can lead us to comprehend it is the knowledge which we have of the spreading of sound in the air we know that by means of the air which is an invisible and impalpable body sound spreads around the spot where it has been produced by a movement which is passed on successively from one part of the air to another and that the spreading of this movement taking place equally rapidly on all sides ought to form spherical surfaces ever enlarging and which strike our ears now there is no doubt at all that light also comes from the luminous body to our eyes by some movement impressed on the matter which is between the two since as we have already seen it cannot be by the transport of a body which passes from one to the other if in addition light takes time for its passage which we are now going to examine it will follow that this movement impressed on the intervening matter is successive and consequently it spreads as sound does by spherical surfaces and waves for i call them waves from their resemblance to those which are seen to be formed in water when a stone is thrown into it and which present a successive spreading as circles though these arise from another cause and are only in a flat surface to see then whether the spreading of light takes time let us consider first whether there are any facts of experience which can convince us to the contrary 
as to those which can be made here on the earth by striking lights at great distances although they prove that light takes no sensible time to pass over these distances one may say with good reason that they are too small and that the only conclusion to be drawn from them is that the passage of light is extremely rapid mr descartes who was of opinion that it is instantaneous founded his views not without reason upon a better basis of experience drawn from the eclipses of the moon which nevertheless as i shall show is not at all convincing i will set it forth in a way a little different from his in order to make the conclusion more comprehensible let a be the place of the sun b d a part of the orbit or annual path of the earth a b c a straight line which i suppose to meet the orbit of the moon which is represented by the circle c d at c now if light requires time for example one hour to traverse the space which is between the earth and the moon it will follow that the earth having arrived at b the shadow which it casts or the interruption of the light will not yet have arrived at the point c but will only arrive there an hour after it will then be one hour after reckoning from the moment when the earth was at b that the moon arriving at c will be obscured but this obscuration or interruption of the light will not reach the earth till after another hour let us suppose that the earth in these two hours will have arrived at e the earth then being at e will see the eclipsed moon at c which it left an hour before and at the same time will see the sun at a for it being immovable as i suppose with copernicus and the light moving always in straight lines it must always appear where it is but one has always observed we are told that the eclipsed moon appears at the point of the ecliptic opposite to the sun and yet here it would appear in arrear of that point by an amount equal to the angle g e c the supplement of a e c this however is contrary to experience since the angle g e c would be very sensible and about thirty three degrees now according to our computation which is given in the treatise on the causes of the phenomena of saturn the distance b a between the earth and the sun is about twelve thousand diameters of the earth and hence four hundred times greater than b c the distance of the moon which is thirty diameters then the angle e c b will be nearly four hundred times greater than b a e which is five minutes namely the path which the earth travels in two hours along its orbit and thus the angle b c e will be nearly thirty three degrees and likewise the angle c e g which is greater by five minutes but it must be noted that the speed of light in this argument has been assumed such that it takes a time of one hour to make the passage from here to the moon if one supposes that for this it requires only one minute of time then it is manifest that the angle c e g will only be thirty-three minutes and if it requires only ten seconds of time the angle will be less than six minutes 
and then it will not be easy to perceive anything of it in observations of the eclipse nor consequently will it be permissible to deduce from it that the movement of light is instantaneous it is true that we are here supposing a strange velocity that would be a hundred thousand times greater than that of sound for sound according to what i have observed travels about one hundred eighty toises in the time of one second or in about one beat of the pulse but this supposition ought not to seem to be an impossibility since it is not a question of the transport of a body with so great a speed but of a successive movement which is passed on from some bodies to others i have then made no difficulty in meditating on these things in supposing that the emanation of light is accomplished with time seeing that in this way all its phenomena can be explained and that in following the contrary opinion everything is incomprehensible for it has always seemed to me that even mr descartes whose aim has been to treat all the subjects of physics intelligibly and who assuredly has succeeded in this better than any one before him has said nothing that is not full of difficulties or even inconceivable in dealing with light and its properties but that which i employed only as a hypothesis has recently received great seemingness as an established truth by the ingenious proof of mr Römer, which i am going here to relate expecting him himself to give all that is needed for its confirmation it is founded as is the preceding argument upon celestial observations and proves not only that light takes time for its passage but also demonstrates how much time it takes and that its velocity is even at least six times greater than that which i have just stated for this he makes use of the eclipses suffered by the little planets which revolve around jupiter and which often enter his shadow and see what is his reasoning let a be the sun b c d e the annual orbit of the earth f jupiter g n the orbit of the nearest of his satellites for it is this one which is more apt for this investigation than any of the other three because of the quickness of its revolution let g be this satellite entering into the shadow of jupiter h the same satellite emerging from the shadow let it be then supposed the earth being at b some time before the last quadrature that one has seen the said satellite emerge from the shadow it must needs be if the earth remains at the same place that after forty-two and a half hours one would again see a similar emergence because that is the time in which it makes the round of its orbit and when it would come again into opposition to the sun and if the earth for instance were to remain always at b during thirty revolutions of this satellite one would see it again emerge from the shadow after thirty times forty-two and a half hours but the earth having been carried along during this time to see increasing thus its distance from jupiter it follows that if light requires time for its passage the illumination of the little planet will be perceived later at c than it would have been at b and there must be added to this time of thirty times forty-two and a half hours 
that which the light has required to traverse the space mc the difference of the spaces ch bh similarly at the other quadrature when the earth has come to e from d while approaching toward jupiter the immersions of the satellite ought to be observed at e earlier than they would have been seen if the earth had remained at d now in quantities of observations of these eclipses made during ten consecutive years these differences have been found to be very considerable such as ten minutes and more and from them it has been concluded that in order to traverse the whole diameter of the annual orbit k l which is double the distance from here to the sun light requires about twenty-two minutes of time the movement of jupiter in his orbit while the earth passed from b to c or from d to e is included in this calculation and this makes it evident that one cannot attribute the retardation of these illuminations or the anticipation of the eclipses either to any irregularity occurring in the movement of the little planet or to its eccentricity if one considers the vast size of the diameter k l which according to me is some twenty four thousand diameters of the earth one will acknowledge the extreme velocity of light for supposing that k l is no more than twenty two thousand of these diameters it appears that being traversed in twenty two minutes this makes the speed a thousand diameters in one minute that is sixteen two-third diameters in one second or in one beat of the pulse which makes more than eleven hundred times a hundred thousand toises since the diameter of the earth contains two thousand eight hundred sixty five leagues reckoned at twenty five to the degree and each league is two thousand two hundred eighty two toises according to the exact measurement which mr picard made by order of the king in sixteen sixty nine but sound as i have said above only travels one hundred eighty toises in the same time of one second hence the velocity of light is more than six hundred thousand times greater than that of sound this however is quite another thing from being instantaneous since there is all the difference between a finite thing and an infinite now the successive movement of light being confirmed in this way it follows as i have said that it spreads by spherical waves like the movement of sound but if the one resembles the other in this respect they differ in many other things to wit in the first production of the movement which causes them in the matter in which the movement spreads and in the manner in which it is propagated as to that which occurs in the production of sound one knows that it is occasioned by the agitation undergone by an entire body or by a considerable part of one which shakes all the contiguous air but the movement of the light must originate as from each point of the luminous object else we should not be able to perceive all the different parts of that object as will be more evident in that which follows and i do not believe that this movement can be better explained than by supposing that all those of the luminous bodies which are liquid such as flames and apparently the sun and the stars 
are composed of particles which float in a much more subtle medium which agitates them with great rapidity and makes them strike against the particles of the ether which surrounds them and which are much smaller than they but i hold also that in luminous solids such as charcoal or metal made red-hot in the fire this same movement is caused by the violent agitation of the particles of the metal or of the wood those of them which are on the surface striking similarly against the ethereal matter the agitation moreover of the particles which engender the light ought to be much more prompt and more rapid than is that of the bodies which cause sound since we do not see that the tremors of a body which is giving out a sound are capable of giving rise to light even as the movement of the hand in the air is not capable of producing sound now if one examines what this matter may be in which the movement coming from the luminous body is propagated which i call ethereal matter one will see that it is not the same that serves for the propagation of sound for one finds that the latter is really that which we feel and which we breathe and which being removed from any place still leaves there the other kind of matter that serves to convey light this may be proved by shutting up a sounding body in a glass vessel from which the air is withdrawn by the machine which mr boyle has given us and with which he has performed so many beautiful experiments but in doing this of which i speak care must be taken to place the sounding body on cotton or on feathers in such a way that it cannot communicate its tremors either to the glass vessel which encloses it or to the machine a precaution which has hitherto been neglected for then after having exhausted all the air one hears no sound from the metal though it is struck one sees here not only that our air which does not penetrate through the glass is the matter by which sound spreads but also that it is not the same air but another kind of matter in which light spreads since if the air is removed from the vessel the light does not cease to traverse it as before and this last point is demonstrated even more clearly by the celebrated experiment of torricelli in which the tube of glass from which the quicksilver has withdrawn itself remaining void of air transmits light just the same as when air is in it for this proves that a matter different from air exists in this tube and that this matter must have penetrated the glass or the quicksilver either one or the other though they are both impenetrable to the air and when in the same experiment one makes the vacuum after putting a little water above the quicksilver one concludes equally that the said matter passes through glass or water or through both End of section 1